Psalm 23, you may have had it read to you as a kid, uh, if you grew up in that kind of a home. My mom read this to me a lot as before bedtime, and this is one of these psalms that helps you rest a little easier at night. And so uh, I think it's relevant as we get into this Advent season, when rest is not easy to come by. Here's what the psalmist has to say. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that that would be true of our church, that someone who's come in today in desperate need of rest and relief, Father, I pray that they would find it in you, our good shepherd, God who promises to give that. Father, I pray that we would lie down, that we would rest with you, that you would lead us beside still waters. God, we do love you, and we thank you. We remember this Christmas season that um, you didn't leave us alone. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, to become the good shepherd for us, that we would know goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. And so, Father, I pray that we would listen well today, that we would receive from you, and that you'd be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. I oh, mean, it is good to be back with you guys. I was remembering a sermon I heard a few years back from Louis Giglio, but he was using this image, and he was just talking about how uh, we're living a lot of times in, in pretty much in a headphone kind of a world today. And uh, he described it as that. He just basically was just talking about how everywhere you look, I mean, everybody's got a personal device today. We've got our headphones. We've got our beats on. We've got our Bose, you know, noise-canceling headphones on. We've got something in our ears, and we're typically jamming out to something. It's especially true um, in the athletic world. And I don't know if you guys have, have paid attention and noticed this, but like pregame, this is what every single athlete does. Uh, a few weeks back, I had a chance to go out to Gainesville, Florida with my brothers and my sister and my dad uh, to go see a Florida Gator football game. That is my dad's alumni. It's why I'm a huge Florida Gator fan, even though I went to Texas A&M. Uh, but that's what we love. And so we all took off to Gainesville a few weeks back and um, got to go enjoy the game. Now, they get this tradition at University of Florida called the Gator Walk. You get off the bus and uh, basically, yeah, the, the, the football team lines up on a bus, even though it's in Gainesville. They get off the bus, and they come down this walk, and the fans are all lining the alley. Everybody's cheering for them and stuff like that. But I'm not kidding you. Every single player that got off that bus, you can see, like, they've all got the headphones on. They've got something in their ears, and they're jamming out to something. And it's kind of funny. You're going to see some of them kind of dancing down the aisle, down the uh, walkway. You know, you can tell what they're listening to because they're lip-syncing the whole thing. They're singing along to it out loud. And you're going, oh, my gosh, they're getting, they're getting pumped up for this. But, like, that's what every single one of them do. They're getting geared up for the game. Uh, Luca was doing it the other night. We went to the Mavs game. Luca Doncic, he's out in the midcourt, you know, pregame. You watch him. Like, even the bench guys, they got the headphones on, and that's exactly what they're doing. And so uh, you can take that one off right there. But it got me thinking a little bit. I'm like going, okay, so what are they listening to, right? Like why, why the headphones? What are they listening to? And so took to Google, looked it up a little bit, and um, Google is kind of the, the answers for those kinds of things. And so uh, I found this fascinating article that was talking about the role of pump-up music in sports today. I had no idea pump-up music was a thing. Had much, had, had no idea it, was, it played a role in athletics or, or winning or anything like that. Like back in my day, we had like a boom box. And somebody put it on the, on the, on the bus, to, and I played baseball. And it's like, I was listening to George Strait and Garth Brooks to get ready for baseball games. That's what we did. And so 
I really wish we had the, our, like, the own personal stuff, but uh, like, that's what I grew up on right there. But like, everybody's jamming out to it now. So anyway, fascinating article because it's talking about the role of pump-up music in sports today. And it was just talking about some of the all-time greatest pump-up albums that were out, pump-up songs that were out there today. And, um, and so I want you to think for a second, what are some of the greatest pump-up songs of all time? Um, and I want a little, little interaction. So think all time, not, not the new ones that are here today, but what do you think are just top five? What do you think some songs are that hit the top five? Eye of the Tiger. Boom. That's definitely on there. What was the... We Will Rock You, Eye of the Tiger. Absolutely. We Are the Champions. Yes, we are the champions. What else? Pump Up the Jam. Yeah, same from Rocky. Dude, I was, I was watching a little Rocky this past week, and I was like, yes. I'm going to go out there and just go hit a wall or something. I don't know. But it's like I was just, you know, that, that song does it too. Um, love those songs. They're kind of fun ones. Uh, which one? Yeah, you, you nailed them. There's one other one, Welcome to the Jungle, Guns and Roses. Did you say that, Jeff? I know. I hear you playing that in your office all the time. It's really awkward on Tuesdays. But um, yeah, it's so weird. But anyway, um, uh, rumor is like that's what Travis rocks out to in the worship service, like before he gets up here and leads in worship is Welcome to the Jungle. Um, I'm just kidding. That's what we do in the worship team meeting back there and stuff. Um, okay, who wants to guess what number one was? I'll give you three options. Okay, we got We Will Rock You, Eye of the Tiger, or Right Now by Van Halen. Okay, so who thinks it's Right Now, Van Halen? All right, okay, we got a, hand, a few of you. Who thinks it's Eye of the Tiger? All right, a bunch of you guys there, and We Will Rock You. Who thinks it's that one? That was actually number one, was We Will Rock You. And so, yeah, that was kind of number one right there. I'm going to uh, put that on the iPhone a little bit later on and, and, and just kind of roll with that. Most recently, there's one called Till I Collapse by Eminem. That's more your modern tunes and stuff right there. And then Roy Jones Jr. came out with one called Can't Be Touched. And so I guess he's a boxer. He wrote his own music, and that's, a, that's, his, whole, that's his whole shtick right there. But uh, that's essentially what they're jamming out to. thought it was absolutely fascinating. So the article goes on and talks about the psychology behind it. But the thinking behind it is, you know what? Like, I'm about to go into a battle here. But the psychology behind it is I'm about to go into a battle. There's going to be very, very real opposition taking place right here. And so I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that I have a winning mindset and that I actually go into this thing in a way that's going to help my team win. And see, the article talks about, hey, this is actually a very, very strategic move by a lot of athletes. They're going to put on these headphones because there's a recognition that there's a lot of noise and that there's a lot of chatter in the world around them that has nothing to do with the task at hand. There's a lot of different marketing demands. There's a lot of fans that are vying for their attention. There's family. There's other dynamics in play. There's a lot of noise, and there's a lot of chatter going on around them that has nothing to do with the task at hand. And so they're going to very, very intentionally put on these headphones. They're going to block out all the noise, and they're going to choose to feed on something that will ultimately help them persevere through the difficulty, help them keep going when they get tired, and ultimately defeat the enemy. And so... Like, I love that image as we get into Psalm 23, because I think it's exactly what Psalm 23 is. Like, the 23rd Psalm, like, is the soundtrack that you can play when you need to be reminded of the victory you can have in your life when, when God is your shepherd, when he's the one that is leading you day after day after day, when you are his sheep and he is your shepherd who is there leading you and providing for you over and over and over again. I mean, church, I hope you didn't miss this when the reading of this and the familiarity of such a psalm. I mean, the entire psalm is a psalm of victory. The entire psalm is a psalm of, of all the blessing, all the enrichment that comes from this dynamic relationship we can have with God whereby he is our shepherd and we are the sheep underneath his care. I mean, the whole thing begins and it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, that's how he begins the entire thing. 
And it's coming after Psalm 22, if you remember this from a few months back, which is a very, very tragic psalm, whereby the psalmist is crying out to the Lord and he's saying, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why would you leave me? Why would you desert me? I mean, there's incredible agony in this thing. And then positioned immediately after Psalm 22, the psalmist comes in and he begins and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, I have need of nothing. I, I'm not longing for anything. In other words, like there's a, there, in other words, I can actually know what contentment feels like. I can actually know what it's like to walk through the, the aisles at Target at Christmas and not want anything, right? Like I, I can actually know the joy of not having, of not li- of not being so envious or full of coveting or anything like that. I can know what the joy of contentment actually feels like if I'm in this dynamic relationship with God, where he, whereby He is my shepherd. He continues and he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. So the good news of that is like if you just happen to come in today and, and you happen to be in a season where your soul needs to be refreshed. Maybe you've come in and you feel dry. And you feel like you're having a hard time listening to the Holy Spirit, engaging in his word, enjoying fellowship with the family of believers around you, growing in relationship with him. I mean, the good news of what he just said is like, that's what he does. He's the good shepherd and his whole role, what he does in this dynamic relationship is that he comes in in the middle of that place and he will breathe life and restore your soul. He will meet you in the middle of that place. He continues and he says, he guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. In other words, like when you don't know what to do, the good shepherd knows what to do. Like that's what he does. He meets you in the middle of the wandering, in the middle of the fog, of the gray, in the middle of all the questions. God, which way is the right way to go? What would you have me do in this scenario? Where would you have me go? Do I stay? How long do I stay? Do I move? Do I take this job or that job? What does truth and grace look like in the middle of this relationship? What am I supposed to do in this thing? In the middle of that thing, in the middle of that question, he is the good shepherd that, that he will meet you in that place and he will lead you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And that's what he keeps going. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid. In other words, I don't have to live by fear because I know that you're with me. I know that you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's what he says. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever. Church, like that's the offer that's on the table with the 23rd Psalm. Like It's an entire psalm filled with victory that if he is, if he is my shepherd, if he is my shepherd, not just any kind of a generic shepherd, not just, hey, I know this about God and I know that he is a shepherd, but more than that, I know that he's my shepherd. I am his sheep. I come in underneath his care. He is my good shepherd. If I know him in that way, the promise of the 23rd Psalm is that he is going to lead me, restore me, guide me, protect me, comfort me, provide for me, bless me, and follow me all the days of my life with goodness and mercy. Church is why it's a beautiful pump-up psalm, if you will. It's why it's one of the most encouraging. It's why we read it to our kids at night, and it helps them sleep at night because they know there's a good shepherd who's willing to do all these different kinds of things for me. We're talking about contentment and peace, refreshment, wisdom, fearlessness, protection, provision, goodness, and mercy. If he is my shepherd, and if I'm willing to lie down and rest with him and listen to his voice and let him be the shepherd who leads me day after day after day. It's the key to the whole psalm. I mean, he's not just anyone's shepherd. He begins, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. This is how I know my God. I don't just know things about him. I know that the Lord is my shepherd. Very personal relationship engaging right here. He is over me. I know his voice. He knows me. That's who he is. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And then, of course, the key is here in verse 5. 
Here's what he says in verse 5. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, church, like the enemy is still going to be around whenever you walk in this victory with the good shepherd. The enemy is still going to be on the outskirts uh, of your life, and you're going to hear his voice. You're going to hear his chatter. You're going to hear his condemnation. You're going to hear his lies. You're going to see his temptations. There's going to be the enemy's voice on the outskirts. That's why Jesus is going to say in John chapter 10, he's going to say, I am the good shepherd. He's going to say that shepherd, that, that metaphor that was played out all throughout the Old Testament, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one that you've longed for. I'm the one who the, the psalmist talked about in Psalm 23. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep are able to follow me. Why? Because they know my voice. Because they know my voice. In other words, they sit at the middle of this table. They hear all the chatter. They know what the enemy is saying. They know all the lies. They hear all the deception. And they're able to sit there and they go, you know what? That's not my shepherd. That's not my shepherd. That's the enemy. That's an imposter. That's an intruder pretending that he's a shepherd. And his sheep are able to discern the difference between the enemy's voice and the good shepherd's voice. And so that's the picture that he gives us, that in the middle of all of this noise, and in the middle of all of this chatter, and in the middle of all of this distraction, and in the middle of temptation, and in the middle of all of this deception, we, you and I, can just sit with him, and we can put on these headphones, so to speak, and we can drown out all the noise around us, and we can listen to nothing else except for the soundtrack of the good shepherd's voice. Church, that's how you walk in victory. That's how you walk in victory and you know the peace of the psalmist in Psalm 23. And so all I want to do this morning is I want us to get very, very well acquainted with the voice of the good shepherd. Because I hope you hear it throughout this whole psalm. It's, it's all throughout this psalm. I mean, even there at the very beginning, the first thing that you're going to hear him say is, it's okay to stop and lie down if I'm your good shepherd. It's okay to actually stop and lie down and rest and take a break if I'm your good shepherd. I mean, that's what, he's saying to, that's what he's saying when David's like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And it sounds real calm and real soothing and stuff, except for the fact that God had to make him lie down. God had to make him lie down. He didn't naturally want to lie down. There were things to do. There were errands to run. There was a table to set. There were guests that were coming over. There were presents to buy. There was a job that, I needed to get a promotion for. There were bills to pay. There were responsibilities to do. There's an entertainment to be had. There's purpose to be found. Like, there's a million different things. Like, don't miss the fact that David had to be forced to lie down. And I think a lot of us understand this part of the image right here because a lot of us have a, very, have a lot of difficulty settling down, taking a break, and resting. Like, that is the image that we see here with all the sheep. Sheep are, by nature, very anxious and very stressed out animals. All right, that's what you do when you're nature's victim, right? I mean, you're going to be stressed out and anxious about pretty much everything. That is what a sheep is, right? I mean, they're, they're, their nature is food to like, everything, right? I mean, literally anything can attack them, kill them. People want to wear them. They're comfortable. Um, <laughs> they taste delicious, and they do that to pretty much every animal out there. I mean, they've even been, been known to, like flies have been known to take out a sheep. Uh, that's what they do. They, they, they bother them. They fly all around their head. They like the oil. They like their fur, uh, the, the wool that's there and everything. And like sheep have been known to become so disgusted by the flies that are around their head that they beat their head against a tree trying to kill the flies and end up killing themselves in the process. Like, there's nothing awesome about a sheep. Like, that's what they are. Like, there's nothing awesome about a sheep. They have nothing to protect themselves. They don't have talons. They don't have sharp teeth. They don't have like, tough skin. Like, they don't have a massive roar. Like, there's nothing terrifying or threatening about a sheep. I, I, there just isn't. I remember... Uh, my only interaction with a shepherd and a sheep about 12 years ago back in India. 
I was uh, preaching. I've shared with you bits and pieces of the story before, but I was preaching to about a group of about 25, 30 kids uh, that kind of took me to this back alley in this abandoned or kind of rundown village out there. And um, I'm preaching with these kids and interacting with them. And uh, all of a sudden, in the middle of this gospel presentation, this herd of sheep comes rushing down the street right at us. And I'm kind of going, uh, the Lord loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. And I'm watching this great this, this herd of sheep running directly to us. And they don't stop. They run directly right through the gathering. They're jumping over children, right? And like the kids are like, yeah, we, this happens to us all the time. No big deal. Keep going. Keep going. I'm like, what is happening here? There's a massive like sheep you know, jumping over kids. You know what spooked all the sheep? It was a chicken. Like that's it. There's a chicken down the street that said cock-a-doodle-doo. And then all of a sudden, like all this herd of sheep, they start like running down, <laughs> running down this, this street. Like there's nothing awesome about sheep, right? Like you don't go to the tattoo parlor and say like, I want a massive sheep on my arm. Like it's just not what you do. And nevertheless, nearly 500 times throughout scripture, that's who we're likened to. He's the good shepherd and we're the sheep. And at first you look at that image and you're kind of going, okay, that's a little offensive. I don't know about that one. And then you start to think about it a little bit more. I start to think about it a little bit more, and I start to go, you know what? We're not that far off. Like, I can identify with the whole fear factor. I can, I, I, I can identify with the fear, the anxiety, the rustle, the bustle, the, the constant movement. Like, I know what it's like to be crippled by a lot of those same fears. I mean, who's going to protect me? Like, when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, who's going to protect me in that moment? Who's going to provide for me? When my job is on the line and I'm not getting the promotions that I've needed, when my kids are going off to college and the bills keep rising at a different rate than what I'm making, who's going to provide for me in that moment? Like, who's going to guide me into what's right when I can't see black and white? All I can see is a world of gray in front of me. Who's going to sustain me when my soul is worn out and exhausted and dry and I feel like it's time to give up and I don't know how to keep going? Who's going to lead me when I've got family coming in that's a reminder of the destruction of my past? Who's going to sustain me in all these different kinds of things? And so a lot of us are able to identify because it's really, really hard to lie down because I'm always searching for meaning and significance and all these different kinds of things through a lot of different things that ultimately they're not able to satisfy, like work and entertainment and money and fame and promiscuity. Maybe it's social media, fame, or whatever else. I need the answers to these different kinds of questions. And so we search and we search and we search and we never actually lie down. Church, I remember this interview Madonna gave about, I don't remember it in 1991, it came up later, but I think it was 1991 with Vanity Fair. It became a very, very famous interview because she got vulnerable in this interview and talked about how um, all of her fears. And she said this, she said, all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy in my life. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of it and discover that I'm a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think that I'm mediocre and un uninteresting again. Then I push past it again and find a way to get out of that fear, but the driving force of my life is this horrible fear of being mediocre. That's what pushes me day after day after day. And Robert Downey Jr. was talking about the exact same thing, and I loved what he had to say. He's like, my greatest fear in life is being mediocre. It's not necessarily being a failure. I don't really think that's going to be an option. Uh, love that confidence right there. And he's like, it's not really the fear of success. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for success. It's just the fact that I may be mediocre and just like everybody else. That would not be okay with me. 
Oprah is talking about the exact same thing. Most successful, well-off, famous, uh, money, the whole entire thing. She's talking about why she works so hard and what drives her work ethic. And she says, I discovered I really don't feel like I'm worth a darn, certainly not worthy of love unless I'm accomplishing something great. I mean, there's a million things that won't let us rest. And it's not just Hollywood or the uber successful, the uber driven or anything like that. I was noticing this stuff in my own self this past week. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I noticed a couple of weird things come out in me the past few weeks. On Thanksgiving Day, um, I actually hung the lights for Christmas on Thanksgiving Day. Church, I've never been the kind of guy that's like, yes, I can't wait for Christmas lights to go up on the house and that kind of a thing. Uh, I've never been excited about it. If you guys remember Christmas Day, it was cold and it was raining all day long. And I got out there on Thanksgiving Day, and it was so peaceful, and it was so restful. And I absolutely loved hanging, out, hanging all the lights on the front of my house that day. And it was bizarre. Caleb's out there. He's kind of helping me, more distracting and playing around than anything else. But, you know, he's out there, and it's just pouring down rain. It's freezing cold. I got the jackets on, and I'm out there on the ladder. I'm saying, this is wonderful. I absolutely love hanging these lights and enjoying this time. I come back in. Kat bought a puzzle for the family. I've never, ever done a puzzle in my entire life. I've loathed puzzles. I've hated puzzles. I make fun of puzzle people, right? I, 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 that's what we do. Like, I, I don't understand you very much. Um, like, my whole life, I've seen They've been on the table in my home. Different people play it, do it. And, and I come back, and I'm like, I don't understand. I, it's so boring. And, uh, she, I'm like, and I even made fun of Kat. I was like, what are you, what are you doing? Who, who, who does a puzzle? We don't do puzzles in this family. What are you doing? And they poured it out. And they put the little frame in piece. And I'm walking by, and I'm like, ooh. I see a piece, and I, start, I sit down, and I'm not kidding you, for the next two weeks, I finished it yesterday, right? <laughs> like yesterday, I'm coming back there, and I'm just obsessed with this puzzle, and like every day I come back, and I'm just putting it together, and I can't stop doing this puzzle, and I'm looking back at this, and I'm, I'm meditating on this psalm this past week, and I'm going, that's weird. This is not character for me. I don't, I don't, I don't care about putting lights on a house. I definitely wouldn't do it during cold and rain. I've never done puzzles. What's going on with puzzles? Why all of a sudden am I a puzzle? Uh, why am I obsessed with puzzles? And I took it to the Lord, and I'm reflecting on this psalm, and I'm going, Lord, what's up with that? Like, what's up with that? Is there something going on in me that I'm not paying attention to? And I'm just meditating on this thing, and I just asked the Lord, I was like, let me see what's going on inside of me. And he revealed very clearly to me, and he said, Aaron, you're a fixer. You're a fixer. You like things to be finished and complete. You like to be able to see the end. You don't like the middle. You like things to be fixed. And the reality of my life right now is there's a lot of different situations that are going on around the peripherals, around the outside, that are not fixed. I don't know if anybody can identify with that, but maybe in your life, you're saying there's a situation, there's a relationship, there's a thing that is going on. It is not fixed. You're in the middle of the brokenness. I, I, I like to see those kinds of things fixed. There are a lot of different things, people that I know and love, circumstances that are going on around you that are just simply not very fixed in my life. I like to see the redemption story. I don't like the beginning of the redemption story. I like the end. I don't like seeing the beginning. And so I'm meditating upon this psalm the entire time, and as clear as day, I could just hear the Holy Spirit just saying, Aaron, there are some things that sheep were never meant to fix. Aaron, there are some things that sheep were never meant to fix, but the beauty of this passage is that you have a good shepherd who can take care of what you can't take care of. Just sit there and rest. And I sat there and just looked, reflected upon this psalm and was able to take this long prayer list that I had written out, that have been working through a lot, and just be able to wad it up and just toss it into the trash and say, God, this is yours. You're the good shepherd. Help me to lie down and to find rest with you. This is what you do, God. You're the good shepherd who comes and brings restoration. 
You're the one who leads me beside quiet waters because you take these burdens and you are able to do the things that I'm not able to do. Church, and I can't help but think, hey, maybe some of you walked in here today and that's, that is your story. Maybe you are a fixer like I am. And there's a lot in your world that's not fixed. Your kids are not fixed. Your job situation is not fixed. Your marriage tensions, they are not fixed. Your parents issue, the people that are coming into your home this Christmas, it's not fixed and it's driving you crazy. And that is symptomatic of the fact that you were designed to hand those things off to a good shepherd who knows how to fix the things that you can't fix. And so the very first thing that he's saying right here, church, is that it's okay to lie down and to rest if he's your good shepherd. It's what he does. He's, he's saying, I, I'm engaging, I'm entering in, and I will take some of these things off of your plate. It's why you have no want. It's why you're able to lie down, and it's why you're able to rest. It's the whole point of the psalm. It's just one thing after the next, saying, hey, it's okay to lie down and rest if I'm your good shepherd. Like, you need to find still, quiet waters. Like, I can actually lead you to still, quiet waters. Church, hear the good shepherd's voice when he says, I'm the one that can take you to those still waters that you haven't been able to provide for yourself. You've been searching for those quiet waters. You've been reading the self-help books. You've been trying to play a lot of golf. Yeah, you've been making, you've been doing the puzzles at home. Like you've been doing good things that are fine in and of themselves, but you've never gone to the one who can actually lead you to the quiet waters. And what the good shepherd is saying to you this morning is that I am the one who can take you to those still waters. You need, you need restoration for your soul. I'm the one that can restore your soul. If you're in that dry season right now, I'm the one that can do something about it. Like it's not self-help, it's not medication, it's not all these other kinds of things that we try to band-aid over the major problem. It's, hey, there's a good shepherd who can do for you the things you can't do for yourself. And some of you need to hear that today because you are walking in in a dry season. And the only answer right here is you have a good shepherd who majors in coming in and breathing life into your soul. Church, it's a promise of the, it's a promise of the 23rd Psalm right here. Like that's who, we, that, that's who he is. You need to know the right thing to do. He says, I'm the one that can guide you into the path of righteousness. You don't know what it is you're supposed to be doing right now. I can be your guide. I can be the one who leads you. You don't know what wisdom looks like in the middle of all this confusion. I'm the one that can speak clearly and, dire and direct your path through the darkness. Uh, that's who I am. Like, he's the one uh, who guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. It's what he does. And the beauty of that statement when he says, he guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake, is the fact that he attaches his reputation with his ability to lead you well. That's what he's just saying right there, like for his name's sake. In other words, his reputation, his glory, his honor is attached to the fact that he wants to meet you where you are and lead you in the specific step by step in as much as he wants to disclose it in order to take you from where you are into where you're going. This is who God is. He is the good shepherd who meets you and he guides you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And so you can take great confidence knowing that, hey, his glory and honor is on the line. And so I can press into him and say, God, this isn't clear. I don't know the direction I'm supposed to go. I don't know what I'm supposed to do about my job or my broken marriage or my broken relationships or these kids. I don't know what truth and grace looks like in the middle of this tough situation. I don't know how to speak the truth. I don't know how to reprimand in love. Like there's a tough tensions right here. And he's saying, hey, just come to me, bring them to me, and I can guide you in the path of righteousness, and I will do it because my sake is on the line. My glory, my honor, my reputation is all on the line. I mean, I'm thinking about the testimonies from just this past week, guys. I mean, how many of you guys were here? I won't make you do hands or anything. We won't do attendance here. But like, how, who wasn't encouraged by the testimonies from last week? I mean, the whole, the whole Sunday was dedicated to the Holy Spirit leading different groups to engage the community in different ways. 
And then we brought out one story with Jeff and Joanna Reed and, and their adoption story. Three new kids fostered into their family this past year, doubling the size of their family from three kids to six kids. They got an awesome new van to prove it. Um, you should check that out. It's pretty cool. Um, but who wasn't encouraged by that story? I mean, they come in, and, and it was a long process of this burden being on Joanna's heart to foster and to adopt. Jeff coming alongside last year, and finally, hey, hey, I'm in the same place. I'm going to do it too. They say, yes, okay, God, we're going to do this thing. We're going to adopt these three specific kids that we've come to have a burden for and a love for. All of a sudden, January, February comes around. The courts come back and say, hey, I know that you thought you were going to be taking these kids into your home. You don't get to take these kids into your home. We're going to be sending them off to North Carolina. There's a distant relative that's going to take them. And their whole story, in case you missed it, I mean, they're crushed for an entire semester. We thought that's, God, what you were specifically leading us into. We thought that was the path of righteousness you were taking us into. And now, all of a sudden, it seems like it's closed. What are we supposed to do now? Do we adopt other kids? Do we wait? Do we move on? Do we go on like, like our lives were before? And the beauty of their story that Joanna talked about and alluded to a little bit last week was that she just got down on her knees. They both got down on their knees. And Joanna calls her girlfriends, which I'm looking at right here. You guys were there. And you gather together and you started praying and saying, Lord, lead me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Lead them in the path. Show us what to do. Like, what are we supposed to do? And I remember Susan gets this word and saying, hey, I feel like the kids are going to be coming back, that you need to hold on. And they're just praying and discerning and praying and discerning. And, and they're just saying, hey, you know what? It seems like God is going to be bringing these kids back, that you need to hold on. And Joanna is feeling the exact same leading. And the group is coming around and they're confirming, yeah, these kids are going to be coming back. You need to get ready. And so Jeff and Joanna, they continue with the, they continue with the, the contracts and all the processes and everything. And they go on and they build out the rooms. They build these bunk beds. They, they make the beds. They buy all the furniture for these kids that are supposed to be out in North Carolina and not coming to their home in anticipation that they're going to be coming home. And you remember the rest of the story. They get this word that, hey, this is, they're going to, kids are going to be coming before the school year begins. The last week of July, they get a call from I think it was CP, CPS, the courts, whoever's in charge of that, and they say, hey, the kids never took off to North Carolina. They're still in Dallas. They still need a home. Is your home available? Are you available to these kids? And, of course, the answer is, you know what? We've been praying, and we expected this the entire time, and so, yeah, we're ready. Point of the matter, church, is that he is a God who will guide you in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He won't just leave you in confusion. He won't just lead you in, leave you in obscurity. He gives you the written word of God. He gives you this strong foundation. He fills us with the indwelling Holy Spirit. And he says, if you will simply listen to me, I will guide you in the path of righteousness. And as much as I want to lead you into this thing, I will guide you in the path of righteousness if you will just listen to me. Church, listening to him is the key to this entire thing. Because the reality of this psalm is that the victory that you're going to be walking in, you are going to be sitting at a table with him, feeding from him, receiving from him. And in the middle of that place, you're going to be surrounded by the enemy, and you're going to be hearing the enemy's voice chatter. And you're going to hear all this noise, and you're going to hear all this temptation, and all these lies, and all this deceit. And you're going to be hearing all these different kinds of things around you. And he's going to be trying to tell you, hey, that's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is completely silent. He doesn't care about you. He stays distant and removed. He doesn't care about the day-to-day. -day. He doesn't care about specific righteousness. In fact, how dare you think that you can actually walk in righteousness? That's, that's not a popular thing to believe today. Like, that's what the enemy does. It is lies and deceit. The enemy's going to come in, and he's going to start chattering and saying, hey, you know what? In the middle of your circumstances, you're completely done. You're done. If you follow the good shepherd, he's going to lead you to the valley of death. Meanwhile, the good shepherd's sitting here saying, I'm not leading you to the valley of death. I'm leading you through the valley of the shadow of death. 
I'm not leading you into death. I'm there with you in the middle of that valley in order to take you from that valley, lead you through that valley into new life. That's what the good shepherd's saying right here. So in Genesis 37, Joseph's going to be thrown into a pit by his brothers. He's going to be sold into slavery, but the pit's not the end for Joseph, is it? Like that's the whole story. The pit's not the end because God is there in the presence of that. He's there in the middle of that pit to lead him through that pit into new life. Exodus 15, he's not leading the Israelites to the Red Sea. He's leading them through the Red Sea. Exodus 17, he's not leading the Israelites to the wilderness to die. He's leading them through the wilderness to get to the promised land. Church, that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the good shepherd does. He meets you in the middle of that place, and he will be a guide. He will be a leader. He will be one who meets you where you are, is present with you in the middle of those things to lead you through those different circumstances, church. Like the giants in the land throughout the Old Testament, like they were never the end. They weren't the end of Israel's story. Like the terrible kings and the terrible judges, they weren't the end. Captivity was never the end. The fiery furnace or the lions didn't, like they were never the end. Judas was never the end. Church, and I guarantee you, like, the cross was never the end. I, I promise you, like, the cross was never the end. Like, three days after Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, everyone thought it was the end. But Jesus walked out of the tomb alive because that's what he had to pass through, that you and I could be assured that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. Like, church, so, so listen when he says that even though your valley may feel like the end, even though it may feel like he is leading you into death and that this place that you're in right now is the valley leading you to death, hear him when he says, I, I am there with you in the valley in order to lead you through the valley. Church, I can't tell you how many people are sitting around you today that at some point in their life, like, they thought that that valley was leading them to death. Like they were in, I'm looking at people in stories here, like you were in the valley of prison, literal physical prison. And God brought you out. He met you in the middle of those chambers and he brought you out of that thing and he brought you new life. He restored your soul. He gave you a second chance. You've built it up. You've been redeemed. Some of you, I, I'm looking at marriages that literally divorced and years later came back together again and remarried because that's what he does. He meets you in the middle of these valleys that you thought were leading to death and he takes you through that thing in order to bring you into new life. I'm thinking of people that were just mourning and grieving incredible loss. And years later, God has, has met them in the middle of that loss, created a brand new reality and sustained them day after day and given them brand new life. Church is what he does. Like that's the promise of the good shepherd. If he is your shepherd, you are, you are his sheep. He knows your name. You know his voice. You surrender to him. He cares for you. In the middle of that context and in the middle of that relationship, he meets you where you are and he will be with you in the middle of the valley, not to lead you to death, but to lead you through the valley in a new life. It's the beauty of this relationship with the good shepherd. But the promise here is that you've, you've actually got to listen and you've got to follow his leading to be able to walk in these, these benefits that he gives. I'm thinking of um, this song that Travis is going to be playing for us here in a little bit, and we're going to be singing it during our communion time here. It's called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Very familiar Christmas song, Christmas hymn, and like many, um, like many of our famous Christmas hymns that we sing today, it was born out of Incredible tragedy. Um, it's amazing how a lot of these songs are born from the same place, and they are living today because of probably the power of what God is doing in that thing. But uh, it was written by a guy named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, 1863. He wrote it on Christmas Day. He wrote the poetry behind it. Two years prior, in 1861, he went through the tragic loss of his wife of 18 years, who he described was the love of his life, 
loved her tremendously. And it was a tragic fire accident. She was back home and she was writing letters. She was stamping these letters with hot wax. There was a candle right there, lit the thing on fire, lit her on fire. And she was burning alive. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow comes in, sees her on fire, tries to put it out. It's a little bit too late. In the process, he suffers incredible burns on his own face. And so for the next two years, he's grieving. Uh, he's in massive depression. He grows out his beard to grieve the entire thing. And uh, he's just very honest. He says, I sank into a very, very deep depression during that time. Shortly after that, somewhere around 1862 to 3, uh, the Civil War was going on. And his son did not, he did not want his son to enlist. Nevertheless, his son decided to enlist. And of course, he was shot in the back. It went through his body. It pierced his spine. He survived the whole incident. And uh, however, he was paralyzed at the time. And, and so Wadsworth goes and he picks up his son. This is just before Christmas. And he brings him home. And he's mourning the loss of his wife. He's mourning Christmas without his loved one. He's mourning the future of his son and, and having to, uh, to care for someone who's probably going to be paralyzed for a really, really long time. And it's there that he's in the middle of that morning that uh, on Christmas Day, the Christmas bells start ringing, and all of a sudden, God uses that to bring him a reminder of hope that Christ is returning again, and that one day all things will be made new. And so he writes about that time, and he's listening to his Christmas bells going as he's mourning, and he's grieving, and he's dealing with serious loss. And he begins to write the lyrics to this, to this song, which says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. A few stanzas later, he gets into the vulnerability of his particular situation, and he says, In despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Goodwill to men. And he goes on to just write about the origins of this song, and he talks about how God just met him in the valley of the shadow of death to remind him that because God is not dead and because the tomb is not filled and that it's actually empty today, that the wrong shall fail and the right will prevail with peace on earth and goodwill to men. Church, it's the promise of the good shepherd. It's the promise of the good shepherd. It's what he does. He leads you. He restores you. He guides you. He comforts you. He protects you. He anoints you. And he provides for you in the season. That's why David's able to begin and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm fully content. I can actually lie down. I can actually be satisfied. Even though he had to make him lie down first. Church, I don't know if, um, if he's ever had to make you lie down before, but I hope that if he has or if he is right now, that you don't despise these times when he's making you lie down. Maybe that is a season that you're in right now. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a job loss, maybe it's um, some sort of a split or something like that, and you've been forced to lie down. Sometimes, church, he has to make you lie down because you've been unwilling to lie down yourself. I'm thinking of John Payne and the story I shared back in April about his story, but John's easily one of these heroes here in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he goes to Northwest Bible Church, at least he did back in the day. That's where I got to hear his story a little bit. Uh, but John Payne is... Uh, he wrote the biography, The Luckiest Man Alive. Maybe you've seen the film or read the biography or something like that. But his kids uh, in, the, in the, the video about him, the movie about his life, they describe him as the man that was strong, that was charismatic, he was always working. He's a self-described workaholic. He had trouble laying down and sleeping. He just liked doing, going and going and going and going and going. And he talked about how it was almost the end of his life. 
And so he says that I'm the luckiest man alive today because God brought me ALS, Lou Gehrig's syndrome. And um, it's made me slow down and get to know my Savior. And so he talks about the day where he was diagnosed with ALS. The doctors gave him two to three years to live. Uh, he's going on, I think it's year 15 right now, by the way. Um, so that's wrong. Um, because God comes in and he does incredible things. He's sustaining this guy's story and his reputation's on the line. It's what he does. He meets you in the middle of the wandering. He meets you in the valley of the shadow of death to lead you through it. And so I remember hearing his story one day at Dallas Theological Seminary. And it was an incredible story. He comes up there, and I love the title of his sermon. The title of his sermon was very specifically, he says, Don't wait till you're dying till you finally live. Don't wait till you're dying until you finally live. And he gets up there and tells his story about being go, 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 having everything the world could possibly offer, getting ALS and being forced to lie down and to essentially lay down and get to know his Savior once again. And I love what he had to say. He said, God made me lie down, but I want you to know that I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because I've not only been able to reconnect with my, with my wife, which is long overdue, but now I know Jesus and he has given me a peace and a purpose that I've never been able to have before. And then he just goes on preaching and he just simply says, don't wait till you're dying before you finally live. Don't wait for him to make you do something that's available to you today. Church, don't miss the beauty of this psalm. Don't miss it in the familiarity. Don't miss it in the bedtime readings. Don't miss it in the plaque on the wall. Like David's picking the most beautiful picture he can possibly think of to describe our God. The picture of a shepherd. The shepherd that whose job is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He doesn't clock in at 9 o'clock and clock out at 5. It's 24 hours a day and it's seven days a week. And he uses this image to describe a God who actually wants to lead you, restore you, guide you, comfort you, protect you, anoint you, and provide for you today. So my hope very, very simply for us today, and really it's my hope for you really this Christmas season, is that you'd be able to stop and you'd be able to rest. The soundtrack of his voice would be on repeat in your head over and over and over again. Maybe very specifically this psalm right here. But that the soundtrack of the shepherd's voice would be on repeat in your head. And that you would let him be your shepherd who leads you, restores you, guides you, comforts you, protects you, anoints you, and provides for you. Not only today, but this entire Christmas season and all the days of your life. I want to invite you to pray with me right now. Father, we do love you and thank you that you didn't see fit to say far away. God, that you took on flesh, you became fully man while being fully God. You are the good shepherd. You know us by name. You love us. You protect us. You provide for us. You care for us. You lead us. You guide us. Father, I pray for the person today that has never known you as the good shepherd. And God, I pray that they would walk in that, that faith today. They would know that you are the good shepherd, that there is intimacy right there, that they've always known that you are a shepherd but I pray that someone would make the decision today that, they would, that you would become their shepherd, that you would be my shepherd today. Father, I pray that you would lead us and provide for us, that you would protect us this Christmas season. God, I pray that you'd be glorified and lifted up uh, through it all. And so, Father, we do love you. We thank you and we praise you this day. And it's in Jesus' mighty and holy name that we pray. Amen.